0: evening, ladies, we're going to go ahead and get started this evening. Um, First off, just as a note, you can tell that my voice is not quite there this evening. So we're going to keep the volume up high so you guys can hear me. Um, And please um, just forgive me if I have a coughing fit and I have to stop for a minute. Um, But this is actually the best it has sounded all day. So that's a good thing. Um, I've made it here. Um, So I'm really excited to be here with you ladies again this evening. Um, we are going to continue on in our study of Habakkuk and just kind of a quick refresher before we get into our new content tonight and even for those of you who maybe missed last session, um, we talked last session about this dialogue that Habakkuk had with God and we said it was interesting because Habakkuk is the one who comes to God first and he comes to God and he says, how long Lord? And that's how we kind of started this book was, was this lament that Habakkuk had for god. and habakkuk says to the lord he says how long are you going to allow violence to continue and it's so interesting because god's response back to habakkuk was actually not what habakkuk was expecting because god tells habakkuk that violence is actually going to continue that is not what habakkuk was expecting i am sure but god says it's going to continue in fact god tells habakkuk that he is raising up a army a massive army the babylonians and they are going to come And they are going to instill judgment on the people of Judah. And so not surprisingly, Habakkuk comes back to the Lord a second time, and he has some more complaints for the Lord. And you probably remember that. His first complaint was, how can you use such an evil, a greater evil, to judge us? So even though we're evil, they're far more greater. How can you do that, Lord? And then his other complaint was he said to the Lord, how are you going to keep your promises to us? If this comes to pass because he was reminding God that we are your covenant people Lord and if we are destroyed how are you going to keep your promises and graciously if you remember the Lord answered a second time and the Lord said to Habakkuk and assured him that he would in fact keep his covenant promises that he is a God who keeps his promises and he told Habakkuk that beautiful message that he told Habakkuk to write on stone on a tablet if you remember that he said that the righteous will live by faith. And he also assured Habakkuk in that dialogue that he was in fact going to bring judgment to the Babylonians as well. And that is kind of where we ended last week. And then we come to chapter 3. And the beautiful thing about chapter 3 is this is going to be a beautiful song. And as I was kind of meditating and thinking about chapter 3 and the song that we're going to go through, I started to think a little bit about how we use songs in our society because we use them a lot and not just in Christian culture, but in the rest of our culture as well. We use them when we're happy, you know, to to up our mood and and that excitement. We turn to them when we're sad. We have songs that trigger certain memories because they're associated with people or places. Um, But we also use songs for teaching. If you know kids, we frequently do that with kids, right? We have the ABCs. I was thinking about my children. And they are so into a show, my younger ones love the show Daniel Tiger. And I don't know if any of you know that show, it's a spin-off of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So one of the cats, I can't remember who the cat was, the cat puppet, okay, she has Daniel Tiger. And so Daniel is a little boy and he has a show and he teaches kids these little sing-song things that give them different ways of how to deal with circumstances of life. And so the one that we use the most frequently in my house, and I'm not gonna sing it because, you know, my voice. I'll blame it on this voice, but yeah it is, but if, it's, if you have to go potty, stop and go right away. And my kids say it, we say it all the time, but we use songs for instruction. We also use songs in the Christian world to help us remember and meditate on God's promises. And I just want to play you this really sweet video of an example of that. Can anyone tell me that song? (laughs) Joyful, joyful. I should have told you from the beginning because then you could have heard it. But that's my two-year-old. My two-year-old opened the hymn book and started singing, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And it's so precious, isn't it? And it's cute. It's precious because it's cute, but deeper than that. It's precious because those are deep theological truths that that two-year-old is singing. And obviously my prayer is that that will be ingrained in her, that that will be a song that she goes back to many many years in her life but it is a beautiful example of song and how as Christians we can use song to meditate on who God is and his principles and so that's what we're going to see Habakkuk do today we're going to see this beautiful psalm of submission and what I love about this song that Habakkuk is going to sing is that it doesn't put a neat little bow on the book of Habakkuk Um, it's not going to wrap up everything and all the struggles that we've seen and it's not going to ignore the tension that still exists but it is going to turn us to focus on the goodness of God and so we're going to listen to this song tonight and we're going to see that Habakkuk hasn't received the answer that he wanted but God still hasn't been proven to be unfaithful. Habakkuk is now just going to adjust our thoughts to um, who God is He's going to remind us that God does not change, but he can change us. We heard last week that the righteous will live by faith and that this important message was to be carved in stone. And now we're going to see that Habakkuk is going to use this song to further carve that message into our hearts as well. And so he starts in chapter three with the word, these words, it says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shidanoff. And that word, a prayer, if you remember where we ended last week, the last phrase that we ended on was that God was sitting enthroned on his throne, that he was eternal. And then it said that all the earth was silent before him. So that is how we are moving into this prayer with this idea that there is silence. And then we have Habakkuk breaking into this song. And that word shidanoth means to praise with triumph, which is interesting. So it is a triumphant song, even though we've been delivered this news of devastation, Habakkuk knows that salvation is going to come from that. This chapter of Habakkuk would have been used separately from the actual book. It was actually used in corporate worship for the people of Israel and so there's actually been a lot of debate about whether or not this was completely separate from the book or part of it as well but most scholars agree that this is probably chapter 3 of Habakkuk but it was also used for corporate worship and so we can think about this as Habakkuk writing this for people knowing that as they were going to face this immense destruction and devastation that they were going to need a song of encouragement to remember who God is and so he then jumps into chapter 2 and continues, and he says, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. If you remember in chapter 1, Habakkuk had said, or God had told Habakkuk that he was doing a work in Habakkuk's day that Habakkuk would not believe, even if God told him. So you remember that? So now Habakkuk is saying, Lord, that work that you're doing, I believe it now. In fact, he says he fears it, but this isn't like a fear of that we would think of. This is kind of an awestruck fear. This is a holy fear, but it also shows that he accepts the message as true. He believes that this impending judgment is happening and he has faith that it's going to come to pass. And so this godly fear that he comes before the Lord and then he's going to petition the Lord, and he's going to ask him for three things. He says, Lord, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. And so we have three things. We have revive it, make it known or reveal it, and remember mercy. And so if we look first at Revive It, in your version, maybe it might say, make him live. That's maybe an easier translation. Habakkuk is pleading this promise that the righteous are going to live by faith. And he's encouraging the people who are singing this song to repeat that promise as well. Because he notes the dark days that are coming ahead of them. And he's saying, make it live. Remember your promise, Lord, that the righteous are going to live by faith. The second thing he says is to make it known or reveal it, reveal it. And Habakkuk is asking the Lord to make his plan for salvation known to all generations to come. He says, Lord, don't just reveal this plan of salvation to me, but reveal it to all people. Reveal it to all people. And finally, he pleads with the Lord that the Lord would remember mercy. And so he says, revive it, reveal it, and remember mercy. Mercy. He's asking God to be merciful because it is only because of the Lord's mercy that is going to sustain the, his people during such a time of distress. Because of God, we can receive things that we don't deserve. And so he's pleading with the Lord to remember mercy. And so Habakkuk starts with this petition and then he's going to move us into this beautiful section where he's going to ask God's people to do two things. He's going to say, remember what god has already done in the past so there's going to be images from the past where god has been faithful to intervene for his people and he's been faithful to bring his people salvation but then he's also going to give us this vision of what it's going to be like when god comes in the future and so he has us look to the past to remember god's faithfulness but he also has us look to the future to anticipate the faithfulness that is to come and he begins by this he says god came and i don't want to rush past that because that is such a beautiful thing and i think we can just push past that because we just we take it for granted that god's going to come but what a beautiful thing that is that god is going to come to us it is an amazing thing that we serve a god who comes to us the lord has come and the lord will come In Habakkuk 2.3, we were told to wait because it would surely come to pass. And Habakkuk is telling the people that you need to hold fast to that hope because it is going to come and God is going to work his way toward his people. I think it is so astounding that we serve a God who descends down to us, that we can't get to God, but he lowers himself to us. We've seen that when God comes down to Mount Sinai to deliver the Ten Commandments and the law to Moses. And, of course, we've seen that when Jesus became flesh incarnate and dwelt among us. We serve a God who comes. And, of course, we know that there's going to be a day when Jesus returns and comes to us again. And so Habakkuk is reminding the people that God is a God who comes to his people. He continues and says, God came from And the Holy One from Mount Paran. These places were actually the boundaries of the wilderness that the Israelites wandered through for those 40 years. And so they serve as that boundary. And it's like God is coming from there. And it is this image of God coming from there and moving towards his people, towards salvation. It's like what he did in the wilderness with the Israelites as he went before them in the cloud and the pillar of, of um, light, and he's moving with his people and moving them towards the promised land. And of course, we know that this is a different promised land. This is an eternal resting place for his people that God is moving towards now. And it says his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light and rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. We're going to begin to see this vision that Habakkuk has, and it's called a theophany. A theophany is a visual manifestation of God, and so it is a representation of what God is like, and it gives us as humans a way to picture God in his glory. We've seen this in a couple places in the Bible, um, and so a couple examples of this are in Exodus 19, when God appears to um, the people of um, the, when God appears to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, and He comes down in a cloud and thunder and lightning. That is a manifestation of God in His power. We also see it in Isaiah when God appears to Isaiah on His throne, and He is surrounded by the cherubim and seraphim. And we see it in, in Exodus 34 when God appears to Moses and Moses' face is lit up with the radiance of God. And it shows so much glory that the people of Israel are afraid to look at Moses. These are all theophanies and that's what Habakkuk is showing us now is this representation of what it will look like when God will come. But these past manifestations are a very limited anticipation of this final of God when the son of man is going to descend from the clouds and every eye will behold him these are just a limited glimpse of what that will be like and so Habakkuk tells us that when God comes he's going to move forward across the earth and light is going to flash from his hands like rays so we get this idea of the Lord radiating this brilliant light and it's originating from his hands, which gives us this glimpse that his hands are going to be used to perform acts of judgment for his people. It shows that he is ready to act. And this image of light is, should not be really unfamiliar to us. We've seen God depicted in terms of light before. Um, a couple examples, in First Timothy, we're told that God dwells in unapproachable light. And in first john we're told that god is light and so we just see now a continuance of that theme as the lord is coming to judge the earth and save his people habakkuk continues with this course of the lord and these steps as he goes on in verse five he says before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels it's so interesting to think that as god is Stepping through the earth as he advances, it's like there's this path of destruction that is coming from behind him. It gives us this image that with each footstep, further destruction is coming, which might seem like the opposite of salvation. But it's this idea that salvation is going to come through judgment. And that is a continual theme. It is the same thing that God told Habakkuk is going to happen when the Babylonian Empire invades. He says, yes, destruction is going to come. There is going to be judgment, but there will be salvation. The righteous will live by faith. It is the same thing that happened with Jesus on the cross. Salvation came through judgment. He goes on in verse 6 and says that God, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. We get this picture of God coming, and he arrives, and he stands, and he takes note of all of his creation. And then we see that the mountains are lower. They scatter. The hills sink low. These are structures that we think of as being eternal, immovable, right? But God is eternal. And so there's this beautiful contrast between God and his creation that even these things that we think of as immovable, God can move. It goes on to say, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. These are two very oppressive nations, and so Habakkuk is envisioning these oppressive kingdoms quaking and trembling before the Lord. But Habakkuk knows that he has a citizenship in an eternal kingdom. He can confidently approach the throne of grace where these powerful nations cannot. They quake and tremble. And so, again, this theme that the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk goes on and says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? It seems kind of strange, and you might be thinking, like, Why is God so angry at the rivers? Um, And it's not that he's angry at the rivers, but the rivers and seas were often territorial um, divisions in land. And so if you think about the Israelites' journey through the desert, when they crossed a river, God had to make a way for his people to push them closer to salvation, to get them closer to the promised land. We saw it with the Red Sea, and we also saw it with the Jordan River. And so here God is enacting wrath and judgment against the rivers in a way of getting his people closer to salvation. And then we have this image of God on a chariot of salvation. And we're going to begin to see God depicted as a mighty warrior who is going to ride forth and conquer his enemies. And I love the word salvation here because in view of the vision that Habakkuk has just received, this message of destruction, he is still expecting that salvation is going to come from this judgment first through that judgment with the babylonians he's trusting that the lord is going to bring salvation for his people through that but then also this final judgment to come Habakkuk goes on in verse 9 and says you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows you split the earth with rivers the mountains saw you and writhed the raging rivers swept on The deep gave forth its voice and it lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood in their place and at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. So we see more and more of God's arsenal joining the battle. And now he readies his bows and arrows. But besides just these things, these chariots, these bows and arrows, he also has at his disposal all of nature. We see that the mountains writhe, the the waters rage, and we get this picture of the waves reaching forth with their peaks towards the heavens, and the sun and moon stand still. God is able to bring all of nature into submission for his purposes of redemption. And so he has these weapons of war that he is using as he goes to overthrow the enemies of the Lord. Habakkuk continues in verse 12. He says, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. There's all these nations that have attempted to overthrow the Lord's reign. But those efforts are in vain. Because when God acts, the earth trembles and can't bear his presence. He continues and says, you went out for the salvation of the people, for the salvation of your anointed. In contrast with the destruction that is going to happen to these nations, like Babylon, there is hope and salvation for God's covenant people. He doesn't destroy the wicked just to destroy them, but he does it for his people. And we have this picture that the salvation is going to happen for his anointed. And then Habakkuk goes on and says, You crush the head of the house of the wicked laying him bare from thigh to neck. The head of the wicked is an interesting thing because it's singular. It's one person, and it stands in contrast with that anointed one who is going to accomplish salvation for the people. This anointed one wins victory over the head of the wicked, and he wins victory for all of God's people. And we've seen this... Throughout the course of the Bible, if you think about David and Goliath, David was the anointed king, and he wins victory over that singular person, Goliath, who was the chief or the head of the wicked Philistine army. And of course, we see that in Jesus, the anointed king who crushes the head of the serpent. And so God is telling us again that salvation is going to come for the anointed. He continues in verse 14, and he says, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of the warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I love that in verse 14 that you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. It is a picture that these enemies are going to have their weapons turned against them. Their destruction is going to come from within. That's so interesting and God is encouraging us here to see that the strength of the enemy is going to be their own destruction. And it stands in contrast to what he calls us to be as people of God. He calls us to be humble. He calls us to lower ourselves. He calls us to empty ourselves. And then these enemies who use their strength and power for their own deeds Their strength is going to do them in. It's going to be their own undoing. As God sovereignly raises them up, he turns their strength against them. And we have some examples of that in Scripture. Haman hangs himself, or is, I'm sorry, Haman is hung in his own gallows in the book of Esther. Gallows that he had built for the destruction of God's people. Daniel's enemies are thrown into the lion's den that they threw Daniel in. God uses the strength of the enemy against themselves for the salvation of his own people. In verses 16 through 19, as we go to wrap up this beautiful song of Habakkuk, we're going to see Habakkuk resolve his struggle with this triumphant trust that he is going to rejoice in. And we're going to see this in three parts that he's going to respond to this first thing he's going to do is he's going to respond to the lord in stunned awe he will respond to the lord in stunned awe he begins by saying i hear and my body trembles that i hear is so interesting because he began by saying that he wanted to hear the report of the lord concerning the things that he was going to bring in front of him and now he's saying i've heard it lord i've heard what you've said And he's having this physical response to it. He says, my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs tremble beneath me. This is a physical response to this judgment that he sees as coming. And we should really honor his sensitivity to this and this reaction, because what he has heard is a terrible judgment. He is showing again this godly fear But if you place yourself in the shoes of Habakkuk, he is knowing that there is an army who is going to come to destroy him and his people. Habakkuk was probably a pretty prominent member of the Jewish society. And as a person who was a prophet, he was the head of his people. He was looked at as a spokesperson for the Israelites. And so when this army comes in, Habakkuk knows that things probably aren't going to go well for him. Things probably aren't going to go well for his family. And so his reaction, his fear, is a just reaction. He knows that what is waiting for him is probably death at this point. But he continues and says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He he resolves to quietly wait. For this assault of invading armies he knows that deliverance is certain but it's only going to come after this judgment we've seen a similar attitude in jesus in the book of luke jesus was we're told that jesus when he was in the garden of gethsemane had drops of blood coming down his head like sweat as he was agonizing over the judgment that was to come Jesus, of all people, knew the assurance of what was going to happen. He knew that his deliverance was certain. He knew that he could trust the Lord with the outcome of what was to come. But still, he was overwhelmed by the realities of the agonies he was going to have to endure. And Habakkuk is no different as he waits for this as well. Habakkuk continues in verse 17 with his second thing that he recognizes. He's going to next recognize the loss. Of what's about to occur he recognizes the loss he says though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines or the produce of the olive fail so we have the fig tree the fruit and the olive these are three things that represented the choicest or best products of the land these were luxuries in habakkuk's time and then he goes on and says and the fields produce the fields yield no fruit the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. And so then we have the fields, the flock, and the herd. These represent necessities of meat and bread and milk. And so Habakkuk is saying, even if I lose all the luxuries, even if we lose all the necessities, that he still believes. This is that even if statement that we've been talking about, that even if all of these things fail, he knows That he will be okay because his existence isn't dependent upon anything but the Lord. He continues with his last thing that he's going to do. He's going to resolve to joyfully trust. He resolves to joyfully trust. And he does this beginning in verse 18. He says, Even if all of those things happen, even if those things fail, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk rejoices not because of his goodness, not because of the weakness of his enemies, but because of his covenant relationship with the Lord. He knows this is something that can never be stripped away from him. And we see this in Romans eight thirty eight, when we're told, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, no things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an echo of what Habakkuk says here, that even if all of that is stripped away, that he has confidence in God. He will take joy in the God of his salvation. He goes on in verse 19 and he says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer and he makes me tread on my high places. He's saying here this beautiful thought that not only does God allow him to endure hardship, but he's going to give him the vitality to tread on high places. He's saying, God, you're not just going to allow me to get through this. You're going to allow me to soar through this. The heights of the earth will be the possession of God's people. And we see here this fulfillment of this idea that the righteous are going to live by faith despite the certainty of exile, despite destruction, despite even the certainty of his own death, Habakkuk continues to trust. And he says, Lord, you're not just going to enable me to endure this, you're going to allow me to tread on high places. And I'm sure that Habakkuk didn't quite understand what he was saying. He didn't understand how that could be true, but we know that through Jesus Christ, that that can be accomplished. It is not based on our own efforts or our own goodness, but based on who Jesus is. Habakkuk continues throughout this song to worship in the waiting. He chooses to trust the one who has been faithful enough to reveal himself to Habakkuk. Throughout these chapters, we've seen God as constant and unchanging, but Habakkuk has certainly been changed by what God has said to him and what God has revealed. At the beginning of this series, we started with this question that Habakkuk asked, Of how long how long Lord and we've certainly changed a lot his tone and his attitude has changed drastically since then and it's not that he was even wrong to begin with it is good and right to come before the Lord with our laments but now we have this prophet who is quietly waiting with resolve and strength and trust in the Lord and it brings us to this question of how do we need to be changed by God We know that we serve an unchanging God, but we can change, and the Lord changes us a lot. And so I don't know what you are facing right now or what you have struggled or faced with in your life. I don't know what the Lord might bring to you in the future, but as we come to the Lord with these laments and these cries, we can be assured that God is going to change us as he reveals his will to us. We can be assured that as we journey through life and as we go through suffering and the Lord refines us during that process, that God is going to change us just like he changed Habakkuk. I am um, currently going through one of those hard times and I had a really dear friend who gave me um, this necklace and I know you can't see it, but I'll hold it up for you. It's just a little square and it has a cross on it and it says hope at the bottom. And it was such a sweet thing. And she gave it to me right at the beginning of this suffering that I kind of started through. And she gave it to me and she said, you know, when I went through a really hard time, I had a friend who gave this to me. She wore it when she was going through a hard time. And so it has been passed through women who have gone through hardship, which is such a beautiful thing. And when I first got it, I can tell you that I'm not the same as I was, as I am now. And part of it is because of my circumstances, though they have not changed, my perspective has. Not because of who I am, but because of the God I serve and the way God has refined me through it. And what I love most about this is it says hope, but it doesn't have hope based on circumstance. It has hope because of the cross. And I love that message. And in times when I can't understand, How my circumstance is going to be resolved and I don't quite understand how God is always good and faithful sometimes in the right now I sometimes I can go to this and touch it and feel it and know that God is faithful not because of what is going on around me but because that is who he is and that is the message of Habakkuk it is this promise of an unchanging faithful God that even when you can't see a way through your circumstance, that you can be assured that God will remain faithful to fulfill his promises. If you would bow your heads with me, we're going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this beautiful book. I thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and the truth that is packed into these three chapters, for the way that you revealed yourself to Habakkuk and at the same time, Reveal yourself to us as well. We thank you, Lord, for your graciousness, that we can come to you with our complaints and our laments, that we can come to you with our struggles and our hardships, and that you not only hear them, but you gently move us towards righteousness. You gently remind us of who you are, and you remind us of what you are going to do. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. We thank you that no matter what our circumstances are on earth, We can have that eternal hope because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.